morning. My name is John Fairchild, the interim pastor here at Grace. Good to praise the Lord together with you this morning. Such good singing. Um, and he's worthy of every bit of it. Wish we could continue on and on. Time to release Grace Kids. So kids, away you go. Walking, not running, to your volunteer connection at the back door. And hope you have a very good time in your class learning about Jesus, as we hope to here. The rest of us can turn back to the little letter to the Colossians in, in uh, your New Testament. And we're in Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Four weeks goes by quickly, doesn't it? Uh, we uh, started out in Colossians 1 four weeks ago, and, and uh, we're just working our way through one chapter at a time. Don't have time to go into depth on every, every point and every verse and every sentence, but uh, we've just picked out a few highlights as we worked our way along through the uh, letter to the Colossians. Colossians was written to uh, a, a little church in New Testament times, probably around A.D. 50 somewhere, and uh, they were in a little town, little city called Colossae, and uh, it was, it's in uh, uh, what we would now see as being uh, Western Turkey. And, uh, and uh, somehow the Christians who went out all over the place in those early days preaching the gospel, there was response to the gospel and uh, people became Christians in that city and thus Paul is writing to them to encourage them. He'd never seen them. Paul didn't plant that church. A man named Epaphras did. And Paul refers to him a couple of times in the letter and he'll refer to him in chapter 4 this morning as we read it as well. So we're going to uh, pick up here in uh, chapter 4 and start in verse 2 because I want, to, I want us to notice this morning that the word prayer or pray occurs four times in chapter 4. So we'll just take that as a cue that we'll talk about prayer this morning because Paul seems to have that on his heart as he finishes his letter. Verse 2, he says to the Colossians, Lord, use this time now. Speak through your word to us, the word which your spirit inspired and led to be written and to be learned from and to touch hearts forevermore. So this morning, Lord, touch our hearts. Teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us why to pray. We pray. Amen. Verse 2, devote yourselves, Colossians, and every Christian ever since. This includes us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. <clears throat> Paul was in prison in Rome as he wrote this. That's thus the reference to his chains here. Pray that I may proclaim it, the gospel, clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances 
and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who which is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. <clears throat> you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. I could see Aristarchus and Mark, uh, you know, wherever they were in the prison, kind of, say hi for us. So Paul says hi, sends you his greetings. Verse 11, Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is also wrestling, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. <clears throat> I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. And then as he always ends his letters, grace be with you. <clears throat> Prayer is so important in the church. It's the source of our power. It's the source of our guidance. It involves worship. It involves confession. It involves listening. It's just part of our communion with God on all kinds of levels and in all kinds of ways. But if you ever want to make Christians sort of hang their heads a little bit and say, huh, yeah, not doing too good there, just bring up the subject of prayer. How are you doing in your prayer life? Oh, dear. Uh, so right off the top here, let's all admit, no hands, but let's all admit, including your faithful pastor here, we, are, we do not pray as we feel we should. So often it's not a strong point in our lives. But pray we must. And so we must never give up learning, listening, and growing in what it means to pray as a person and to pray together as a church. I'll mention a little later on some of the ways that prayer happens here in our church. And, uh, and we'll do that. But I, I, just, I just wanted to let you know this morning, I'm not going to be beating you up and making you feel guilty for not praying as you should. We are all in the same boat here, folks. But let us, let us learn afresh this morning. Let's come back and say, Lord, teach us to pray. So the first verse I want to pick start here is verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So three characteristics of prayer that we learn here from this chapter in, from this verse are the words devotion, watchfulness, and thankfulness. What does devotion mean? Be devoted to prayer? Well, it means make it a priority. It means you were very intentional about praying. It means that we repeatedly do something. Some of you might own, own dogs as a pet, and we might say of you, very, he's very devoted to his dogs. 
Well, that's good. You're, you're taking care of them. They're in your attention. They're, you're, they're, they're, they're part of your life. And, and thus, prayer should be part of our lives, a very strong part of our life, and we take it seriously. Have you ever heard of the thing in church history called the daily office? Uh, the, the monks used to practice the daily office, and, uh, and Christians down through the hundreds of years uh, have here and there, in many places, uh, practiced what they call the daily office of prayer. And that is that they had set times in the day when they would pause and stop and pray. Usually the daily office involved some prayer in the morning as you started your day, and it always involved uh, prayer at the end of your day. In the morning, you might be looking into your day and praying for various things coming up. At the end of the day, you might look back and be thankful and worshipful for how the day went and perhaps look ahead to tomorrow a little bit. And, and then uh, often in the daily office was a pause at noontime uh, when you would uh, sort of at midpoint of your day, pause, stop, lay aside your tools, your work, whatever you were doing in the old days or step away from your computer in, the, in these days and, uh, and at midday, pray. There is a verse in Psalm 119 that says, seven times a day I will praise you. And so people uh, who led churches back then used to think, well, we need seven times of prayer in the daily office. So they had morning and mid-morning and before lunch and after lunch and mid-afternoon and supper time. I'm not counting, but end of the day. And it started becoming a little overwhelming. Uh, at least that might for me. And uh, so people have enlarged the, the daily office and they've, they've uh, made it more brief and manageable. It doesn't matter. And you don't have to do the daily office. I'm not saying this is a command. I'm just pointing it out to you that sometimes it's a good structure by which to order your life of prayer. And that you might set time throughout the day, whether it's twice or seven times, doesn't matter, um, that you pause to pray. Doesn't have to be a long time of prayer. Could be one, two, three, four, five minutes. Just something that, and maybe uh, you have different things that you pray for at different times during the day. But anyway, I'm just trying to describe what might devotion look like. Be devoted to prayer. There's a story about John Wesley, who uh, in, in uh, the 1700s was a, was a great English uh, preacher of the gospel, John Wesley, his brother Charles Wesley. They wrote a lot of our hymns that we sing. They had a good friend, George Whitfield. They were part of the Great Awakening. And, uh, but John Wesley was a great man of prayer. And there's a story told where he was visiting friends one evening, and uh, they were chatting away, talking about all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, he sprang out of his chair and he said, gentlemen, we've talked for a whole hour and we haven't prayed. And it was his rule to pray on the hour, every hour, just for a moment, just to look back to God, because sometimes our conversations can take us who knows where. That was his habit. I'm not saying it has to be yours. I just throw things out that, that might give us guidance in our, in, our, uh, in our life and in our devotion. Be watchful. Jesus said, uh, could you not keep in the, in the garden? Remember, he was praying and the disciples were falling asleep. And he said, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And then he says, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? And it, it, there's no secret to the Greek word for watch. It means being alert, being sober, being awake, uh, being attentive. And uh, which brings up the subject of something that probably just about every Christian struggles with, and that is distractions in prayer. 
And I've often said, I'm trying to pray and I got distracted and all of a sudden I was thinking about this and thinking about my taking my car to the garage and thinking about what Kathy said this morning and, and, and I didn't get much praying done. So I read this book once and he said, turn those distractions, which we all have, to your advantage. You know, sometimes we have a prayer list. I got to get through my prayer list here. I'm praying for the missionaries in Southeast Asia, and then I'm praying for the politicians, and, and maybe just set your prayer list aside. And when, you, when a distracting thought comes to mind, pray about it. Turn it into prayer. And, and maybe you're thinking about, oh man, the, the Smith family's coming over tonight for dinner, and, and we're out of hummus. What are we going to do? And well, turn that into a prayer. Not about the hummus. <laughs> but turn it into a time of prayer for your time together with the Smith family. Lord, how can, how can there be maximum encouragement? What, what could we say to them? Uh, uh, how, could we, how could we encourage the Smith? You know, turn it into something that, that, that is useful and, and meaningful. And then go back to your list if you want and some other thought will pop up. Turn that into prayer. If it's the devil who's throwing these distractions in front of us, he might say, this isn't working very well. And maybe he'll stop. But just a thought. Turn, don't, don't feel guilty about your distractions. Pray about them. And uh, let them form, at least part of the time, your prayer content and your prayer list as you pray. And be thankful. Paul says... Uh, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Uh, the only thought I have here is that sometimes our, we have, you know, we got a lot of burdens and a lot of troubles and a lot of problems, and so we start praying them, and, and pretty soon my prayers sound like a, a long list of, oh me, oh my, oh dear, what am I going to do? Uh, and the Lord must go, oh boy, this is rough. Mix in some thankfulness to your prayers. I'm not saying don't pray your problems, but remember to be thankful. It's a very healthy thing to do. And sometimes when we're so over-focused on our problems, our faith slips and it slips and life is harder in my faith. And, but when I'm thankful, my faith gets a boost because I'm remembering and I'm thanking God for how good he is and what good things he has done in my life even recently. So don't forget to be thankful when you're praying, mix it all in together. Verse 3. Paul says he asked for prayer for himself. Remember, he's in jail. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I just want to set up a tension here between praying for our needs and our difficulties and praying about the spread of the gospel and ministry. And uh, I'm going to, I'm titling this one, Don't Always Pray for Comfort, okay? Uh, but it's not wrong to pray about your uncomfortable situation. Because as I recall in the Gospels, people would come to Jesus and Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to receive my sight, Lord. It's, it's hard not being able to see. And so he asked for something for himself that would bring more comfort 
to his life, and Jesus happily healed him. And, and someone said, my demon-possessed son is, you know, is in big trouble, and, and life is terrible, and Jesus ministered to that need. So it's not wrong to pray for something in your own life that's not comfortable and that's, that's difficult. It's not selfish. Just take it to the Lord. But there is something else, and I see it here in what Paul wrote. Remember, Paul was in prison, and that's not very comfortable. And if I'd been Paul, I probably would have said to the Colossians, hey, pray for me. Pray I can get out of this wretched place so I can get out and back on the road and preach in the gospel. I've got more cities I want to go to and preach to. So pray, pray I can get out of here. It's terrible here. It's cold and the food is awful and the guards are cruel. And, and then I might have been, Paul didn't ask for that, did he? Let me read it again. Pray that God would open a door not, not the prison door. He means a metaphorical spiritual door here. Open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He, 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 he must have thought, I guess I'm in jail for a reason. God is sovereign. I mean, he could have kept me out of jail, but he's placed me here in jail for a while hmm, pray that God would use me here. That's what he's saying. Pray that God would help me. To, I, 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 I want to preach the gospel, and I guess he wants it preached in the jail. We know from another letter that Paul had led prison guards to Christ that penetrated up into Caesar's household even. It's amazing, it's at the end of Ephesians 6. So wherever Paul was, he was always praying that God would open a door for the gospel, an opportunity to preach the gospel. There's, a, there's an example, a, a great story in Acts 4. And the, Peter and John, a couple of the early apostles in the early days of the church, they had been hauled, they had healed a man by God's grace, and then they'd been preaching the gospel, and the religious authorities called them up on the carpet and threatened them with suffering and, and death if they didn't stop preaching the gospel. So they left there, kind of sobered up, and they went back to the church, to their companions, and it says they got together and they prayed together. But they didn't pray, Lord, take away the persecution. And they didn't pray, Lord, change the government so they'll be more favorable to the church. No, they didn't pray that at all. I'll read their prayer. Now, Lord, they said, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, Lord, to heal and perform miracles and signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they didn't pray for comfort on that occasion. They prayed for courage to keep on preaching the gospel. So just a thought for all of us is that sometimes, you know, if, if you hear a friend ha has a sickness or has lost a job or something, uh, my first instinct is to pray that they'll get well, that they'll be healed, or that they'll get a new job real quick or something. And that's okay, but pray deeper than that. Pray for other things. What's going on in this person's life? Pray for their faith. They might be tempted to become bitter. They might be discouraged in their faith. They might be, uh, uh, you know, just wavering on the edge of, of, of unbelief. Pray for them in, in those areas of their life as well, not just for the immediate surface level need. As Paul prayed, asked for prayer for himself. 
in jail. Down to verse 12. This is about Epaphras. Remember, Epaphras was probably the, the one who planted the church and first brought the gospel to Colossae. So Paul says, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, fully and mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Laodicea and Hierapolis were neighboring towns where there were churches as well. I call this section contending, wrestling, and working hard in prayer. Uh, in chapter 2 of Colossians, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at it. Paul said, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. In another translation, he says, I want you to know how hard I am struggling for you. What does Paul mean there? Is he, how, how is Paul in another city or in, in jail in Rome, he's contending and working hard for the Colossians? What, what does that mean? Most people think it means prayer. He was praying hard for the Colossians to the point where he was tired uh, from it. That's what happens when we struggle and when we contend. And then we have here Paul describing Epaphras, who's, who he knows is, and he describes it as wrestling in prayer for you Colossians. This is a call to put effort into our prayers, to not give up too quickly, to push through because sometimes our flesh says time to quit getting tired and not getting anywhere and this is a time to contend and to wrestle hard in prayer for someone else prayer is difficult in part because it's a spiritual exercise and we have spiritual opposition the devil and the demons are somehow trying to hinder prayer and sometimes you have to fight back and just redouble your efforts and pray like you've instead of giving up or caving in and, uh, and so we have here Epaphras, who's wrestling in prayer for you, Paul says. And then he says in the next verse, uh, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. So Epaphras is wrestling, and he's working hard for you. The, the part there about working hard for you, uh, so another translation says he has a deep concern for you. The Greek word that that comes from is polis ponos, and it means, polos means many or much, and ponos means pain or trouble. So Epaphras has much pain for you. What does that mean? I think it means you got to really get into it. What's on your heart? Sometimes we pray for things that aren't really on our heart. We think, well, a Christian should pray this way, you know, and we've got our little list and, and various things, but they're not really on your heart. And let's not worry about whether they should be on your heart. They're not. I'm going to take the pressure off and just ask you a question. What is on your heart? What do you care about? What's keeping you up at night? That should be on your prayer list. The Colossians were on Epaphras' heart to the point where Paul described the guy as wrestling in prayer. Like he must have just been on his knees. I don't, I don't know how to picture it, but, but his face would have been into it. His hands would have been into it. 
He was wrestling somehow in prayer. And remember Jesus in the garden before the cross? It says he was sweating as if it were blood dripping out of his skin. And, and, and he, he got into it. What's, what's on your heart? What, what are you troubled about? Pray there. Maybe it's some, maybe it's, maybe it's some area of ministry here in church. Maybe you've, maybe you've got the youth on your heart. You say, I just can't, I can't stop thinking about how important that Grace Youth Ministry is and Kylie Galt, their, their leader and everything. Go there to pray every day. Don't worry if you don't get some other things covered. Go to where your heart is. Are you praying for Grace Kids and the planting of the truths of Jesus in their life every Sunday? And their te- Go there. Pray. Pray hard there. Are you, are you praying for... Uh, uh, something, a, a ministry in the city. Perhaps you're concerned about the downtown area, the opioid epidemic, Royal City Mission, and the work that they're doing down there, feeding people. And you just, this is terrible. God, you got to change this. That's what you should be praying about. You'll pray for other things. But go to where your heart calls you and pray there and contend and wrestle and have a deep concern for something. I think that's really, really important. Paul said, I'm struggling for you in prayer. So I just want to, Encourage us, because sometimes we're trying to pray for something that's not really on our heart, and it's not on our heart, and we're getting distracted, and we feel like we're failing, and we quit praying. Don't. What do you care about? Paul and Epaphras and the others followed their hearts as they prayed. Sometimes, some days, praying is easy. And you, you get up, you know, maybe you're out walking as you pray or whether you pray on your knees or sitting in a chair, it doesn't matter. And you say, well, that was great. That was a good time of prayer. Other days, it's not easy. It's hard and you have to contend and you have to struggle. Let me tell you, that's normal. You're not alone. Uh, we all struggle together. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Let's go back to chapter 1. Now, I won't be able to put it up on the screen. And I'll read you the verse. This is about prayer as well. Paul mentions prayer in several other places in Colossians. And in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he, there's, a, there's a very important verse there where Paul tells them what he's praying about for them. I'll read it. Listen carefully. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to do something. Asking God to do something. So here's the apostle. He's praying for this little church in Colossae. And he says, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking God to. Now we've got to fill in the blank here. What's he asking God to do? He might have said, uh, we're asking God to make your church grow bigger. You know, we want you to double in size and really be successful. It's not, that's not, it's not there. We're asking that your offerings would be bigger. You know, you could have more money to do more stuff and build that building you've always wanted. That's not what he says. What does he say? Haven't stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Uh, Paul's not praying about numbers, about troubles. 
He's praying about spiritual strength and spiritual growth. He's praying that they would know God's will. He's praying that they would uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's praying that they would bear fruit, that they would know God better, that they would be strengthened with power. I dare say, if we pray for those things for other people and God starts answering those prayers, you won't have to worry about growth and offerings. Those things will come in. There'll be, there'll be side effects of the real stuff. And the real stuff is obedience, maturity, growth, and a clear-eyed knowledge of God's will for your life. So, folks, let's pray for the things that God can do and only God can do. The knowledge of God's will. Do you get that from, uh, from a book? Nope. Do you get it? Uh, you know, peace and faith. Do you get that from medication? I hope not. Nope. Those things have their place in life, for sure. Uh, other things that we might pray for. I want, us, I want us to rethink. What are the things that only God can do in a person's life? He can help you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. No motivational speaker. No book. No psychologist, no medication can help you in faith, in spiritual strength, in walking in a way that pleases God. Only God can do those things. So let's pray for those things that God does and he specializes in, as Paul was right here praying for the Colossians. Epaphras, we just read that verse. He's wrestling in prayer that you may stand fully assured in what? In the will of God. Just knowing what God wants for me to do with my life and enabling me to do that. So I just think it's so important that we pray for those things that God can do in a person's life. Let's ask him to do those things. Lastly, chapter 1, verse 3. We're two sentences into the letter here. Uh, and in verse 3, Paul says, after he's introduced himself and said hello and said grace and peace to you, as he always does, the very first thing he talks about is prayer. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And then he goes on to talk. But the first thing that he's telling the Colossians, and it must have been so encouraging for them, is that Paul is praying for us. That's awesome. And then as we go through the whole letter, in verse 1, verse 9, he says, we haven't stopped praying for you. Chapter 2, verse 1, I'm contending for you. Chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer. Pray for us. Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you. He's, and the, my point here is that spiritual leaders need to champion the cause of prayer in a church. Paul was a great spiritual leader. And he talked about prayer all the time. All the time. In all of his letters. It's everywhere. Because, as I said at the beginning, it's the source of our power. It's the source of God's, God working and sanctifying us. It's the source of God guiding us and leading us. And we need to be a church that prays. As I thought about our church, I'll say two people for the many ways that prayer does happen in our church. And I'm well aware that we need to grow in prayer in our church. Very much so. <clears throat> uh, just before the service, the worship team and everybody who's participating here in some way gather in the back room and we pray for the service and for just calling God in to be working here this morning. 
Uh, we encourage our teams, whether it's the parking team, the, the Grace Kids team, whatever, to pray before they do their work. Always pray before your work, just asking for God's help. You say, well, I asked that last week. That's fine. Ask it again this week. We, it's a new week. We need to pray for it again. Small groups pray. Very often, at the beginning and at the end of their discussion time, they'll say, let's take some time for prayer. Enter into that with, with joy. Um, your elders pray. The leadership board prays. They'll say, let's take some time to pray. Monday night prayer we have online uh, where there's a group that just gathers online <clears throat> and we, we pray for needs within the church and for people in our lives. Not a closed group. You can find it in the announcements and click on and join us. It's actually working, praying online, you might think that's weird. Um, actually, it works pretty good. God's right there online with us. We pray sometimes on Sunday mornings. We have over the past year just setting aside a whole Sunday morning and we have people offering prayers about needs in our church and we're all here agreeing and in prayer. So those are good things. But we do need to grow, I believe, as a church, individually and uh, corporately together as a church. I look forward to that. <clears throat> but spiritual leaders need to lead the cause and champion the cause of prayer in a church. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 6, the uh, church was growing, and there were physical, practical needs, and the church leaders, the apostles, were getting called into doing some of those practical needs, and finally they made a correction to their strategy there, and they got other people, faithful people, to meet those needs, and then they said this famous statement, we, the spiritual leaders, must devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And they saw that prayer was their primary, as, as well as ministry of the word, their primary responsibility. I talked to a pastor once, uh, and we, I, I was asking him about uh, prayer and how do we help our churches to pray. And he very quickly said, well, he said, prayer uh, is not really my strongest point. But then he said, but I know it's my job. And, uh, and so he he, and then he went on to describe how he does his job. It's his responsibility as a spiritual leader to lead a church in prayer and to encourage them in prayer, to teach about prayer, and to be an example of prayer. And so um, uh, spiritual leaders must lead the church in prayer. Who was the greatest spiritual leader of all time? Jesus. talked about prayer all the time. Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Ask, seek, and knock. He told stories and parables about prayer. Uh, a certain man uh, had a visitor come and he was out of bread and so he went to his neighbor's house and he was knocking on the door. And there was a story about prayer. There was a woman who uh, needed justice and she went to a judge and she pursued the judge until he finally gave her what she had. It was about prayer. Uh, John 17, a long prayer of Jesus that got recorded as he reports into his father about his ministry on the earth just before the cross. Just before he goes to the cross in the garden, at the moment of where he could turn back or he goes forward, what's he doing? Praying, sweating, contending earnestly in prayer. Jesus is our greatest spiritual leader in prayer. Let us follow him. Are you a follower of Jesus? I hope so. A follower of Jesus will follow him in prayer as well. 
Well, we'll never be as good at praying as he is, but even if we're still children, let's follow. We're going to break bread now, <clears throat> celebrate communion, and that is when we pass the, you, you will have received a, a little cup or a little package when you came in, and if you haven't got one, uh, an usher will bring it to you. Just pop your hand up. And uh, Helen Donkersgood is going to lead us in communion this morning. Thank you for doing that, Helen. And we're going to 